we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. You have a job. You have health insurance. Illegal immigrants get free care, but you can't afford good medical care. What gives? I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse on the America Out Loud Radio Network. Medical care is expensive. Hospitals can cost anywhere from $1,300 a day to $4,000 a day, depending on the state where you live. The top reason that non-elderly adults do not have health insurance is they can't afford it. Worse, half of insured adults say they have trouble affording health costs. To save money on prescription drugs, 20% of folks either don't fill the prescription, use over-the-counter medicines, skip doses, or cut pills in half. Two-thirds of Americans have private health insurance and the remainder have public health insurance. Nearly half of Americans receive health insurance through their employer. According to a business consultant, health care costs for U.S. employers will increase over 8% in 2024 to more than, get this, $15,000 per employee. The consultant suggests that given the tight labor market, employers will absorb the increased costs rather than raise the employee's contribution. And that's already several thousand dollars. But we are asleep at the wheel. Listen to this. According to Forbes, employees spend 18 minutes selecting their benefits. And 42% wait until the last minute to enroll. So we just aren't thinking about what we can do. Mark Cuban, the co-founder of the discount drug program Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drugs, says we waste a lot of money on less than quality of care for employees. And what's really sad is employers haven't thought about what to do about it. Well, my guest today will talk about what we can do about high costs and not just complain. Throughout his career, Matt Ort has served as an influential executive leader working for companies such as Toyota, Badger Mining, and is the vice president of HR for Merrill Steel in Wisconsin. At Merrill Steel, he led the company on a healthcare transformation journey to implement implement several healthcare services at no cost to employees and their families. He has received numerous awards for his healthcare innovations. In 2018, Matt founded the Healthcare Best Practice Group. He has written a book about his plan called Save Your Company, Don't Feed the Beast, the Employer Healthcare Success Formula. Welcome to the show, Matt Ort. Thank you, Marilyn. It's great to be with you today. Well, let's just get started. One of the things I really enjoyed about your book 
was how you started telling us about how you kind of got into thinking about healthcare costs. And it was a big tractor accident. Tell us, because it stuns <laughs> me still. It's a bit uh, it's a bit of a head scratcher, isn't it? I mean, I testified in front of the Wisconsin Senate and called it a crisis. I think we are in crisis mode. And for employers, it's a house on fire, yet they seem to keep hitting the snooze button, if you will. But the, there was something, you know, what's interesting is I can say that, and I don't mean to be critical of employers, because guess what? I was one of those employers the first uh, two-thirds of my 25-year HR career. And it took some personal experiences, in fact, a near-death experience to maybe wake me up a little bit and open my eyes to the realities of what all of our employees and their families were going through. So tell us, I just have this visual and everybody, I know we're on the radio, but you've got to close your eyes and imagine Matt as he tells you this story. Yeah, this is the uh, introduction in my book, and it really was uh, one of the big sparks for me, if you will. It's the fuel for my fire to to do what I did, which was uh, almost felt like an impossible task, right? To fix this notion of employer health care and the costs that are ever increasing. But I, I live in central Wisconsin, and I live actually on the mighty Wisconsin River, and which is a very big a big river valley and something like 300 feet wide, maybe in my backyard, if you will. So it's a, it's a bit of an intimidating site, but I was, um, I like to fish and I was using a little, uh, tractor, um, well, little 4,000 pounds, but little in tractor sense and pulling up, um, dead trees from the, from the edge as I was cleaning up the edge. So I could put in a stairs and a dock and, uh, I was on the last tree and uh, uh, something very surprising happened. The parking brake pulled loose and I was hooking up the chain and it rolled, it was sitting on a flat, but it rolled directly backward. And before I knew it, I was underneath that tractor going, uh, and it was rolling down a very steep embankment and it will, it rolled directly over me and then rolled in. This was my restored tractor, mind you, uh, into the Wisconsin river, which was not a good site for me. Uh, but that wasn't my biggest problem. My biggest problem is I had uh, tumbled down 40 feet and I had some pretty significant injuries from that happening. Well, I'm sitting here imagining you pinned under a tractor. I mean, most of us can't even imagine being pinned under a car. Then what did you do? Yeah, I get that. Uh, you know, it's funny because I went down uh, to my office one morning and I thought, you know, and it was a little bit of a later effect to include this in the book, but I thought, you know, this is really the, a, a personal experience. And uh, and I thought maybe it'd be a page or two and it ended up being something like, I forget, 12 or 14 pages. Uh, but I describe that experience under that tractor as, as violent. I, I It was almost like I was blacked out. I was not unconscious. I knew what was happening, but it happened, of course, so fast. And I thought my body was actually being destroyed. It was the thought in my head, right? I'm like, my my body is being destroyed right now, and I'm I'm toast. And uh, so as I as I kind of regain my awareness, if you will, at the bottom, almost sitting upright. It was such a steep embankment, and then I'm watching this tractor roll into the water and go underwater and stall. Uh, I looked. I was scared to look down at my body. 
And uh, so I did, of course, finally, and I had a couple of pretty major dislocated fingers and a lot of five or six major injuries, if you will, five bruised ribs. I find out all these things later, but I was not uh, cut open or right. Um, uh, there were no significant bleeding or gashes or anything like that. So I, uh, it's kind of, you know, it's a, uh, uh, probably don't want to get into every detail of the tractor part today, but I made my way up the slope. And before I knew it, my daughter was riding uh, driving rather, uh, me to the ER. And that was really where my healthcare experience started as, as kind of opening my eyes to the realities of both the, the quality of care and also the cost of care. Now, were you employed at the time? Were you in managerial someplace where you'd get quote unquote free healthcare from your employer? So this this was shortly after I had accepted the VP of HR role at Merrill Steel. So I was employed, and although I and we hadn't done anything with our healthcare yet, and I had chosen actually the plan that you would expect that you wouldn't have anything happen. So I had an extremely high uh, deductible. I forget it was something like eight thousand, and um, this this whole incident ended up burning up my savings and an HSA um, all at once. But I did have health insurance, as they say. I, at least I had the card in the wallet, right? <laughs> as they say, <laughs> exactly. You find out how useless that card is. Exactly. Well, so were you working? I Obviously, you recovered. You're sitting here talking to me now. And uh, so anybody out there, think about it. Even if you get in an accident, there's somebody out up there in heaven looking out for you. So don't despair. I, um, I think I surely had some guardian angels that day. I certainly I didn't see anything. But if you look at what happened, I think it's just there's no reason I should be talking to you right now. Well, you've become kind of the guardian angel for employer health insurance. So... Now, you say in your book that at your company, the health plan was the company's third largest overall expense. I mean, that is huge. And I think a lot of employees don't realize it. I mean, granted, their premiums, even though the employer's paying for it, has gone up and up. They kind of don't realize on the back end how much the employers pay. So what did you do about it? We were seeing some things, you know, in Wisconsin where something like there's a RAND study, there's a new one going to be coming out. We're like the fourth worst uh, for cost in the nation. And shortly after I started, there were second generation owners. There are third generation owners now, um, but they were in their 60s and there were two brothers and a sister. And shortly after I started, they we had some conversations, especially with the sister. Uh, her name is Karen. And uh, she she had a deep passion for employees and their families and had a lot of unrealized dreams that I maybe uh, worked with her to carry out. And one of those was that for the past five years, the deduct uh, the premiums rather uh, were going up nine to ten percent each year and and they had been absorbing those costs instead of splitting the increases or passing them along to employees like most employers maybe have done or almost been forced to do they've been absorbing those and they said we just can't do it anymore is there anything we can do is there we're already self-funded uh but is there anything we can do to curb these costs and change this trend because it's going to start affecting uh, our business and even the way that we, you know, the way that they viewed employees, they certainly didn't want to do that. 
So what what is it that you propose doing? So it's interesting because I, of course, uh, have even what I've put in the book is the formula now, right? A guide for it, uh, advisors or employers or anyone swimming in that pond to do it. But I, uh, it took many years, uh, maybe seven or eight years to figure out how to articulate that and how to, how to make sense of it. But, you know, we had a situation, I, I find this kind of humorous, you know, it's important to say that this, this story has become nationally known. I am now speaking nationally after the release of the book and, and known in Wisconsin and so forth, but that was not, that was not on our radar. That was not our goal. Uh, our goal was that we had a problem for our employees and their families, and we wanted to fix it. And so uh, we, uh, I had support. And so the first big step was to propose a on-site. We, we were big enough. Now, it could be, could be near-site as well. I always like to make the distinction. But in this case, it was an on-site clinic, and we wanted, and we figured out that it needed to be run by, and it needed to be an independent clinic. Uh, and these are doctors that have broken or left this broken out of or left the system, hospital systems to start their own medical practices. So that was a key first step for us. Well, one of the things, and we'll just mention this before the break, because I think it makes a big difference in how we look at the whole system, not just the employer employee system, that you say that we have sick care, not health care. And that it, you're looking, the, the system as it is now looks at the patient as a customer. And if you cure him, you lose the customer. And we've stopped looking at root causes. And when you talk about having these clinics that are associated and independent clinics, it sounds like that helps become the entree into going back to, I look at it as good old fashioned medicine, where you try to keep the patient healthy rather than gin up profits for the drug companies. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, you could say that, you know, that, and you're right, this was a well-oiled machine. We did over the course of the next five years, 30 to 35 pieces we implemented that became this one almost alternative system, if you will. Uh, that saved over $5 million and increased the accessibility and quality of care. So that's, we did not know that, of course, when we started, but the, the big first step ended up being what I call the heartbeat of our medical strategy in that independent clinic. And that the, uh, the industrial healthcare complex today uses primary care almost solely for, as a funnel. And so the, the quality of that care has been reduced to almost nothing. It's 15 minutes. And then after vitals and so forth, it's about seven minutes. It's a rushed conversation. It's a low quality care. And all the, do all the doctor, no matter how skilled he or she is, all the doctor has time to do is either refer uh, and, and put that patient into the pinball machine uh, or prescribe maybe to address some of the, the symptoms, maybe not root cause. And so the doctors and the nurse practitioners and so forth are put into this position that's really unfair to them. And so in putting in this independent clinic, what we did was first and foremost, we, we brought back primary care to what it was something like 40 years ago, a relationship-oriented 30 or 60-minute visit, a treatment plan, a, maybe a, a diabetes, maybe a sugar monitor, uh, et cetera. And we could do all these things. In fact, we could uh, do it all for no cost to the members. Well, this is just fantastic. And after the break, 
Um, I want to go back a little bit to the beginning, just so people understand what uh, an interesting and in a way a novel model this is. And I'd like to ask you to explain to the listeners the certain types of health insurance and what's out there. And so we can see the difference of having a fully private model. And we'll get into that after the break. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Cold and flu season is still here, sadly. And I'd like to remind you about Co-Fix RX. You know I've talked about it before. It's something that's helped me over the last few years since it's been invented. And what Co-Fix RX is, it's a nasal spray. It's really simple spray. It's got povidone iodine and some xylitol both of which kill viruses. And we've got to look at using Cofix RX, just a squirt up the nose, like having an airbag in your car. It helps reduce the impact of the viruses. It helps get them right in the beginning before they have a chance to multiply and get farther down your respiratory system. Doctors and pharmacists recommend it. And one of the things I love about it, it was invented in the USA and it's manufactured in the USA. So what could be better than that? Check out the CoFix button on our page, click it on, read more about it, see if it's right for you. I know, I love it. And it's been great for me. You've all heard Dr. McCullough and others share over and over the value of keeping your sinuses cleansed. It's a smart move all year, but even more so when we're cooped up inside. It's not really open for debate any longer. Those that live smart and live well pay attention to nasal and oral hygiene. Cofix RX has just the tools for the job with our nasal and throat cleanse. Click the Cofix RX banner on AmericaOutloud.shop to get 20% off your entire order. That's right, americaoutloud.shop. Use coupon code OUTLOUD. That's coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off your entire order. Use CofixRx because it works. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. We're talking with Matt Ort about health insurance with a focus on what employer plans can do to help reduce the cost of health insurance. But first, I'd just like him to explain what are some of the types of health insurances that um, employers can have and therefore the employees can have? Yeah, there are really, uh, I think in simplest terms, there are really kind of three choices when it comes to the, the, the healthcare plans, uh, what we call commercial group health plans for employers. 
Uh, one is uh, what's called fully insured. So that would be simply where the insurance company takes on all the risk as the reimburser, not to be confused with the payer, by the way, the employer and the employees are the payer, but the reimburser in the middle, they take on the risk and then they pay the claims. And then depending on how the uh, the year goes in terms of caught, you know, money in and money out that determines the potential for next year uh, increases or is supposed to determine. There are certainly some deeper things there with, that we've learned that they maximize profits, but that um, that's really something that's changed in the last 20 to 30 years. The other two are a form of self-funding and one is in the middle kind of called level funding. It still falls to the self-funding side because if you, you pay the premium, uh, but if you don't spend all of that money based on a maximum contribution, of a premium paid by the employer, then the employer gets money back. And then the other would be a traditional self-funded uh, arrangement in which there's even two little branches to that, but the most common one is where an employer would secure stop loss or uh, captive coverage, but essentially be protected from the extreme stuff. And then they would cover up to a certain amount. And then if they spend less, of course, that's their money to lower deductibles, premiums or even buy new equipment or whatever it may be. Um, a true self-funded employer, which would be the extremely large ones, which are would be without any insurance on the top, what we call stop loss. Uh, but those are more rare. Those are only the really big companies. So those would be the types or the choices for an employer. Well, it seems like if you're self-funded, which like you say, you'd have to be a pretty big employer with a lot of money to back you up to be 100% self-funded. But that would certainly give you a motivation for looking at innovative ways to save money if you were the one that had to foot the bill. You would think, Marilyn, and you know, one interesting thing, I had started off and used the phrase head scratcher. Here's an, here's an interesting phenomenon with employer health plans. I tell a story uh, in which I was supporting the custodial team uh, and there were uh, three of them and and, and their, the vacuum broke. We had this industrial vacuum and uh, it, we had fixed it two or three times and it was time just to replace it. So uh, I was uh, went to the purchasing department and uh, they had a process. And so we had to get three quotes and call the rep and so forth. The interesting thing was the decision was very easy. Uh, we were just going to replace the one we had. We liked it. The cost was good. Something like $500. And I found myself that afternoon, uh, this was early in the Merrill Steel journey, it's uh, one of the revelational moments. I was filling out this purchasing report, right? And I'm thinking, man, this feels like a waste of time, two or three hours. I already know what the best choice is, but I'm having to go through this. And I don't didn't disagree with the concept, but I said, you know, I thought to myself, just that morning, I had signed our stop loss. This was before we started with the healthcare. And I had signed our stop loss and all I had to, to, uh, needed was a nod from the CFO and it was $700,000. And so that was the moment that it hit me that healthcare is, and this is not unique to that company, this is the norm nationally that healthcare is off the radar. For some reason, it's the second or third or fourth or fifth, but often the second or third highest cost in the company and it has a huge impact on how the business goes and employees and recruiting and retention. Yet it's, as you had mentioned early, right? It's a, a, a few minutes to fill out the enrollment form, the enrollment meetings, or even the plan designs are not discussed, but maybe a month or two before. And there's very little time spent on this. 
And employers know how to manage their costs. They're very good at it. They manage all other areas of the business. Uh, but the question would be, why is, why is healthcare off the radar for employers? Well, it's, it's a good question. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, do employers think they have no choice, that they're stuck with what's out there? I mean, I remember, gee, it was when I was buying my own insurance when uh, I was in private practice. And well, really, the whole time I was in private practice, there were a lot of indemnity policies out there to choose from. There were some 800 products on the market. And now there seem to be so few products that you, an employer must think, well, I have no choice. You know, I've got to take, you know, one of, one of the big five or else we're out here, you know, in the cold. But it sounds like they do have a choice. There are choices. And, you know, I think what's interesting is what I did is that it was uh, it's very intuitive in that I've created a free market shopping model, but it really was out of the box, right? It was uh, blazing a trail that hadn't been blazed, and now it's been proven and is more um, very predictable. But if you look, I think there's probably a, a, a couple of big reasons why this is off the radar. One, one I would say is that there's this uh, phrase uh, that is a claim is a claim is a claim, and that the impression is that the how the healthcare costs go are really determined by if people get sick, if they get cancer and need heart surgery, and you can have down years and up years and so forth. And there is a little bit of truth to that, but the notion that a claim is a claim is absolutely false. We see, I saw, I know a person going in for surgery, he shared with me for a rotator cuff on Monday, not in our plan, but he said the estimate was $141,000. And I said, I can get that surgery from a hand-picked one of the best surgeons in the state for 11,000. So this, first of all, this notion that a claim is a claim is absolutely false. That, that the, the shopping side is we shop for everything else. When we buy a car or TV or groceries or go to a restaurant, we evaluate for value. And the way that's been shut down in the healthcare industry is that these narrow networks uh, look like they're uh, giving a better deal. What they're really doing is you're signing away your ability to shop. You're saying, I have to shop here. And worst, you don't see the price or the quality before you buy. So that would be one of the big ones, one of the big reasons why uh, we are where we are. Well, why do you think there's such a huge disparity in these prices? I mean, charging so much just because you can get it. Uh, and to me, some of it seems to come from that moral hazard concept, where if a third party is paying for it, people don't pay that much attention to the price. What have you found? Yeah, I think that's where the healthcare industry, right? This it's It's almost been made so complicated that employers, even within, don't understand this. And so there's so many moving parts, and this is what I break down in my book to simplify it, but they've delegated the management of their health plan to the seller. And often that's in the form of a broker or advisor. And I would simply define right there, uh, this is not to generalize, but a, a traditional broker um, is there as a representative of, of the insurance company, even on the self-insured side. And their whole business model has been built on these commissions. And so they're basically selling a product 
and they're pushing for the highest commissions. When the claims go up 10%, they get a 10% raise. And I would say that's the norm in the industry. So the employer is looking to this person as if they're giving them the advice of how to manage their plan. It may be between choice A, B, and C, and all of them are horrible, right? But they're saying, here's the best one, and I got you 5% off, so I'm looking out for you when really they're uh, they're smiling in the Christmas break. Now, the, the alternative to that is a newer, um, a breed, if you will, we'll call an advisor. These are just words, uh, but an advisor who actually, now they're not trained or skilled in, these, in this strategy, but this is coming alive. This is the movement in the nation and in Wisconsin that I'm leading, that they're actually looking out for the employers. And the first thing they do is align their compensation so that there's no conflicts of interest, that they're not getting rewarded when the plan falls apart, and that they're actually sitting beside as a true advisor for the employer and helping them work on their health plan. Now, unfortunately, that's the huge minority still, but that's one of the things is the employers look, look to this trusted broker um, who really isn't all that concerned about plan performance, but is really 95% of his or her time is trained in sales, sales techniques, and not so much making the plan go well. Well, it's interesting when you describe that these brokers are really working for the insurance company. And I think anybody who's bought a house has had that same sort of thing kind of go through their mind. If I'm listening to the seller's broker, don't they want to get the most money for the seller, even though they're telling me I'm getting a great price? It's kind of that little kind of conflict of interest that's there, but you, you don't really think about it. And the idea that somebody getting money off of a claim is, I don't know, kind of creeps me out. Getting, yeah, getting more money as the plan does worse, you know, and I think it's, that's an interesting example. It would be similar in that the, then you would be paying your home sales realtor that commission every year. Um, and, and certainly I've seen home realtors push, right? When it's their listing, they get, let's say 6%. If it's not, they're splitting three and three. I've certainly seen them push that. On top of that, we see, uh, brokers or advisors, um, charging a, uh, PE, what's called a PEPM, uh, or PEPY, I guess it'd be a P a per month. So per employee per month fee. So this can be 25 to $35 as if they're, they're their advisor. So you see a real conflict of interest. Now they're paid. Uh, in commissions and, and uh, overrides and five-star vacations from the insurance side. And then they're also paid by the employer. Uh, so as as if they're the trusted advisor. So, and don't get me wrong, we, we're finding some good ones there a little bit. We're uncovering the rocks and turning them over and, we're, and they're more and more are coming this way. But I think uh, that's one of the big things for the employers to wake up is to realize that um, they probably need to get out of that box as the solution is found outside of that box and uh, to be careful maybe uh, who they're trusting for their advice. Well, it's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. I hope what you're saying really catches on. Now that people are talking about PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers, and there's legislation out there to try to put a few limits on what's going on, can you briefly say where these PBMs come in in this system of all these middlemen between you, the patient, the employer, and who's paying for it? Yeah, we find these couple of entities. If you look at what's called the BUCAs, the, the biggest insurance carriers, right? The Blues, the Uniteds, et cetera. 
And then you look at the pharmacy side, they would be an equivalent middleman, if you will, for pharmacy purchases. And we see that those two entities, the carriers and the and the PBMs making the most money um, and uh, in my opinion, adding the least amount of value. So when we take almost a lean manufacturing perspective, the simple definition or one of the simple definitions of lean is that we analyze something 100% and we keep all the things that are actually adding value, but we remove all the things that are adding that are not adding value and adding cost. And so that's kind of uh, behind some of my strategy is to say, why can't we go direct to medical practices and just pay fair prices? Why do we have this person in the middle that's really not adding any value yet, maybe adding, raising the price 50% or more? I think most people, it's kind of intuitive, the fewer people involved in the transaction, the more likely it is to cost less money. If anybody's ever bought direct at even a flea market or someplace where you're paying the person who made your little tchotchke uh, directly rather than getting at a gift shop, you're going to pay less money for it. Yeah, I think we're all wired that way. You know, I mean, I mentioned I'm I'm a kind of a grassroots kind of guy, a farm boy from Iowa and and uh, kind of a, a pretty down to earth where we still waved at our neighbors and we waved at strangers and we and trust was an important thing. Uh, but if you're if you're a farmer, as there are many across our nation today that you can't always afford to call a plumber and you can't always afford to call a carpenter or a mechanic. Sometimes you've got to jump in and you start to learn these principles of what what am I paying and what value am I getting? And you certainly not going to pay someone who's not adding any, adding any value. And so you become really, I think we're all probably somewhat skilled consumers, right? We would never return to a restaurant that charged us five times what it should have, or if the food was cold or if the service was bad, we inherently know that there's a better option. And uh, in healthcare, mostly that's, uh, that's been kind of shut down, if you will, by this powerful industry. Well, oh. I, I think a lot of the problem, there's a printer going off in the back. I have to apologize to everybody. Um, a lot of the problem is people don't realize that there's other options out there. And again, you went back to a more direct program where you're dealing directly with physicians and have these either on-site or nearby clinics where the employer's paying these people directly and there's fewer third parties involved. After the break, I'd like to talk to you about a couple of things. One, to see what the results were of changing the traditional model. And I just wanna to talk to you a little more generally because one of the things you talk about in your book or things I call your lessons for life that were so interesting and it's, goes beyond health insurance and just sort of in general different ways to think about a lot of things. So I'd like to get into all that stuff after the break and find out what these successes are. Look forward to it. <laughs> I'd just like to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. You can hear Pulse every weekday at 5 p.m. with an encore at 10 p.m. and on iHeartRadio the next morning at 8 a.m. 
You can listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. One thing I love, all shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours. The episodes are on lots of podcast networks, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeart. So make it easy, bookmark America Out Loud Pulse. One thing to remind you of that makes a show fun is there's a different doctor on every day. Me, Dr. Marilyn Singleton, I'm on on Mondays, Tuesdays, we've got Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley, Wednesday with Dr. Peter McCulloch and Malcolm Atloud, Thursday, Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan, and Fridays with Dr. Harvey Reich. And if that's not enough, we've got Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. So there you have it. Lots of medicine, lots of talks, sometimes politics, sometimes more medicine, but it's all there for you. And thanks again for listening. Voices, one freedom, united in the First Amendment. Our goal is to herald the voice of genuine liberty at AmericaOutloud.news. A place where you'll find the naked truth expressed with a patriotic heart. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Before the break, we were talking with Matt Ord, and he was telling us about his different model for employer health insurance. 
and I'd like Matt to tell us, so what are the results? Well, the results were pretty amazing. You know, we take this this approach of shopping for healthcare instead of shopping for insurance. And I talked to a former hospital CEO, by the way, and he said that an insurance CEO uh, shared with him once that he would wake up in the middle of the night with nightmares, fearing that everyone would realize that they're not adding any value. And I always found that humorous, but he said it, not me, my friends, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but as we begin to shop for healthcare and realize that we can get an MRI for $600 instead of 5,000 or a, a joint replacement for 20,000 instead of 80,000, and that the quality is actually inversely related in healthcare, that the quality actually is higher on the lower cost service. And so as we shop for those things, companies can save uh, 20 to 30%. It sounds almost like we're making up numbers here, but these are real numbers, 20 to 30% off of their total health plan expense. And the employees and their families save a percentage of that. If you're 80-20 or whatever the norm is, I heard one the other day was 50-50. So these numbers, these ratios are getting off as employers can no longer afford it either. Uh, but the employees also win. So this is not just a company win or something like that. This is a mutual win from all of the buyers, the employers and the employees. Well, one of the things that I think of when I hear about these nearby clinics or even attached clinics is there was a hospital I worked at briefly in Southern California that had amazing retention of nurses because they had an on-site daycare center. And I'm imagining, fortunately, I didn't have to use it, but if you had to drive your child somewhere, pick them up after work, so you were always nervous that you wouldn't get out in time, all these things, having to drive some distance. And I'm thinking, my goodness, to be able to go to the doctor nearby, your employer knows where you are, they know you're not cheating or playing hooky, and uh, everybody wins. For sure, these are all things employers can realize. In fact, we were uh, five minutes away, as I describe it, from an on-site daycare as well. In addition to our clinic, we ended up renting out the whole second floor to another employer, and uh, so it it got it got canceled. But uh, certainly, I think there are many creative, out-of-the-box ideas that employers can do to uh, to for that R and R, that re uh, retention and recruiting and retention. Well, this is such great information, and I really encourage everyone to read the book, whether you're an employee or an employer. And uh, if you can't get your employer to read it, you read it and tell him all about it. One thing I wanted to ask you about, there was something that really struck me. You were talking about starting a new project, which this would be, and you talk about phases of the project. I'd like you to kind of go through those because that can apply to anybody and anything. Yeah, one of my one of my passions uh really and what I studied in school it was and you know and it kind of goes hand in hand with change is change management. There's lots of different labels for it, but that's what I that's what I call it. Uh but uh transformational leadership, leading others from here to there, and I'm I'm no longer uh, a young buck. I'm getting up there. I'm, I um, uh, was born in the 1900s, as I as I like to say. But um, so you certainly gain a lot of wisdom along the way. And uh, I don't know if you remember if you've ever played the game Red Rover 
uh, Red Rover when you Yes, yes, Red so Rover, Red Rover, let Mac <laughs> come over. that's right so it's a very simple game this is not a uh, not a complicated thing but you hold hands with your team in a line and they come over and they try to break between they try, try to choose the weak link if you will but the team at the end and then if you break it you take one of theirs and if you don't you stay and so forth but I, I think change management is a lot like that but essentially you start out kind of alone right and you've got this idea and you say this is a great opportunity but no one knows about it and no one's with me and so we We take this notion into change management. Well, maybe I'm going to start with the owners. I'm going to, in fact, but I'm not going to do it in one meeting. I need to kind of tease them a little bit and say, hey, I've been looking at these healthcare numbers and they seem concerning. I'd like to talk to you about it sometime. And then that's it. And then, you know, so there's different techniques to get people interested. Everybody's busy. No one wants to be flooded. And you'll get shot down pretty fast if you go right away, full speed. So, but getting people interested and then calling a meeting and then building that that uh, coalition, if you will, from the top. And then from there, it's uh, maybe you got 500 people and, and you've got more red rovers coming over uh, all the time. And that's kind of what we're doing in the state of Wisconsin is that we're, we're really just gathering kindred spirits, like-minded folks that realize there's a problem and actually aren't stuck in the status quo or entrenched financially somehow, but uh, really want to make things better for our communities. And so it's really a, about getting people, winning them over to your side. Well, what do you do when you have people who are just difficult, who no matter what you say, they say, well, we've never done it that way. And, you know, I want to say, well, if it was working so well, we wouldn't be having this meeting. But there's, you know, always those people who say that or worse The last employee who was in that position, they say, well, Johnny didn't do it that way. Well, maybe that's why Johnny's gone. But what do you do with people like that? Yeah, it's a great point, you know, and uh, so I put in the book, there's different models, but one of the model I use is Roger's adoption curve, and it's a very somewhat simple bell curve, uh, but it would call those folks laggards. And the reality is that there's a, a percentage of folks that aren't really ever going to smile or come with you. And, and if they ask you a question in a large group, you need to always, of course, like you would anyway, I hope, treat them respectfully and answer their question because all the rest are listening. Uh, but those folks only come along when they have to. They're never, uh, for whatever reason, uh, they're never going to come along with you willingly or, or at least excitingly. So, uh, but there's another 90 or so percent there. Some will come early, some will come fast. And then the majority of folks, when when there's good reason and you've explained it well and you have a clear narrative, will, will uh, gradually and steadily join your movement. Well, when you were trying to recruit doctors to come in the movement, was there sort of a different approach you had for the doctors versus the employers to try to latch on to this, let's go direct to the horse, as it were? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got an interesting thing happening in Wisconsin, and I certainly can't take credit for it. I've certainly done my part and supported, you know, but we had, there was an article written in 2021 where there were 16 DPC practices. These are independent clinics by doctors who had decided to start their own medical practice in the state. Today, I count 104. Just three years later, we have 104. If you look at the, and that's primary care, which is 80 to 90% of one's care. And if you look at thereafter, the specialty or secondary care, we're seeing incredible things happen. We're seeing whole 
surgery departments leave hospitals and start their own orthopedic centers. And we're in, in three of the five regions of Wisconsin, in the Madison area, in the Green Bay area, Green Bay area. There's already one in Milwaukee charging transparent fair prices and taking out those unnecessary significant costs. So, um, you know, the interesting thing is the doctors are pretty motivated. They're, they're not, they're smart, right? Inherently. Um, and uh, if given the way, and then I've been supporting them with resources of loans and real estate and things like that. Uh, but the way they're treated, especially in the primary care, if you talk to the average doctor, I think today, They're very frustrated that they're not able to practice in a way that they dreamed of when they were a kid and that they were taught in medical school, that they're, uh, you know, the seven minute primary care visit, for instance, is a good example. Uh, it's not care. It's rushed care. And it's really a referral machine. It's a funnel and a referral machine to expensive care. As my co-founder likes to say, the most expensive thing in primary care is the primary care doctor's pen. And so when they can break away from those things, then we can do some good stuff. We can get the cost back in line and we can also get patient accessibility. These DPCs, these clinics can get people in in one to two days, often the same day. And we're seeing where you call for primary care today in the big hospital systems. Again, we hope they someday they come to our side, so it's not personal. Uh, but three to six to nine month waits just to see a doctor and then Uh, you know, instead of hurry up and wait, it's wait and hurry up to get a seven minute visit. And that's just not working for Americans. So Americans are very anxious, including the doctors for new solutions. Well, I think you provide a place for doctors to go because believe me, there's so many people I know who would like to get out of these great big healthcare systems. They don't like the seven minute visits. And like you say, that's not what we learned to do in medical school. But then it's like, what do I do? Where do I go? And especially if a guy's got a family to support and think, how can I start one of these independent practices? So there's a lot of fear involved. And it's like stepping over a cliff. And you don't know if there's anybody there to catch you. But if there's more employers who are looking for this sort of system, that gives the doctors a landing place. For sure. And uh, I've got resources. The Benjamin Rush Institute is something that works with medical students to teach them uh, not just, the, you know, they learn the medical side, but some of the business side and what we're seeing with these practices now. So you've got a panel size in the primary care. You've got a panel size of four to 500 patients in the hospital. These docs will tell you they've got a, pa a panel size of 2000. And so whenever they hit four or 500, they just hire another doctor. And so we see some of these practices, they're at five, six, seven doctors, and they're almost always hiring. And so it's, uh, and so that can be a way as well that you might not have to even start your own medical practice. You might be able to join one of these new independents that are growing rapidly. So that's something to keep in mind. Well, this is just so good to hear. And one of the things I just without sounding preachy to everybody is just, let's just talk about some lessons in life that come out of all of that, that you tackle a project that seems insurmountable when you start. But you know, all those things like, well, it's like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? But you also have to remember that, and something you say, you've got to dare to dream. 
For sure. I'm, uh, I'm certainly a big fan of inspiration, right? Is what's, what's our why behind what we're doing and my experience with the hospital and the tractor and then hearing employees certainly is part of, part of my why. But, uh, you know, one thing I like to tell the teams I lead or, or folks I'm talking with is that, you know, because so, I think people are afraid to try because see, it might not go well. And there certainly is risk in blazing new trails. Uh, but I've always been highly motivated. In fact, that's what gets me out of bed is to help the voicelet. You know, the, the employees come into a uh, enrollment meeting and they're they're powerless and they're voiceless. The decisions have all been made and it's almost always bad news. And so I said, you know what? I have a responsibility to them. I'm leading this group and I'm going to do my best to work hard for them. And the interesting thing about if, you know, there's a lot of working from home, it's still working, right? But we're all, we all live what's, I don't know what the average is, 75 years or something. Um, and so we can live our life in fear um, or we can live our life and say, I'm going to give it a try. The, the interesting thing is we're here anyway, right? Uh, we're here anyway, whether you're going to work or you're working from home or whatever your job is. Uh, you're there. So you can coast through it and accept problems, or you, maybe you can pick one and say, what if, what if we could do something about this? And I guess I, you could say, I've always been that what if kind of person. It doesn't always go well because sometimes you have the powers that be that'll shut you down and different things. That's usually the number one cause for something when it doesn't go well is someone just chain above you changes the direction. Um, but in my experience, when you uh, can study things like root cause problem solving and understand the problem well and understand how to solve it, that very good things can happen as in this case. Well, this is such good advice. And uh, there's a couple of things you you had mentioned in your book, something Wayne Gretzky said, you miss all the shots you don't take. And mm -hmm. I just think that's so true. You know, it's like how the lottery says you have to play to win. Now, I'm not suggesting we all go out and play the lottery, <laughs> but that might be a losing proposition. But, and another thing you said that really struck me because I've run into so many people like this they said there's some people that have a problem for every solution. And yeah. I love that because we all know somebody like that. Yeah, it's funny about how our, you know, Lou Holtz talks a lot. If you've ever heard Lou Holtz, one of the most requested speakers of years past who took six losing uh, football programs and made them all winning programs. He was a transformational leader. You listen to people like Wayne Gretzky, right? Pro I'm not a hockey expert, but probably the best hockey player of all time. So he might know what he's talking about. When I when I was young, I heard a Henry Ford quote that stuck with me. He said, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. And so those, those kind of fun challenges uh, or quotes always stuck with me. And I guess I've always been that guy who was willing to take the, take the chance to try to make something better. Well, I know that you've made a lot better for employers in Wisconsin. Let's hope that we can do this across the United States. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us. Can you just quickly give us your website, how people can look you up? And uh, I'll be sure and put all this information on our website so people can uh, have a second look. But give us your main website, please. Yeah, very much enjoyed the conversation, Marilyn. So we, uh, so in 
in figuring out the way for employer healthcare, this ideal, this health plan, uh, we've founded a company called Self Fund Health. And uh, so it's at selffundhealth.com. And my email is simply matt at selffundhealth.com. And uh, we're helping uh, companies across the state of Wisconsin as we uh, get going in our first couple of years and seeing some really amazing things. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I'm sure everybody has learned a lot from the show. And I'm sure we'll talk again. I sure hope so. I enjoyed it. And I just like to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. You have to look at our new website as well as listen. We've got a new trending cloud up there. We still have our email so you can email any of the the hosts and or the guest. The host can get in touch with the guest if you have a question and we'll get back to you. And um, we get a lot of questions. So please add yours to the mix. And remember, we have our AmericaOutloud.shop. And that's our shopping site where you can get the books we've mentioned on the shows and other books of interest. You can get some of our products. You can get CoFixRx there. And we're so simple here with the code OUTLOUD. You can get a discount. So enjoy everything on the website. And thanks again for listening. And remember, whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. And until next week, say it loud, I'm free and I'm proud.